what will make this business so attractive is if you can go away for six months, come back and it's still there, you've, you've got something you can sell. So that's about getting your business ready for that eventuality that investing in, in the team and the people that you can be around, that you can step away. And that having a high valuation and making yourself, you know, investor ready is, is crucial. Welcome to the Business Mastermind Podcast with business strategist, speaker and author, Gavin Preston. Tap into this meeting of minds between everyday business people on their journey to master business growth. Join them as they share strategies, insights and shortcuts to help you survive and thrive in business and life as you scale your business and achieve a bigger impact. Hey, Gavin here. You love the audio format because you listen to podcasts. I'm a massive fan of learning through audio courses and books. What I particularly like about Knowable is that courses are short form, like a podcast, and expert-led, like an audiobook, with courses on leadership from the commander of the International Space Station and on startups from the co-founder of Reddit. Grab yourself 20% off with coupon code GAVIN, in capital letters, G-A-V-I-N, which brings the price down to just over $3 a month. It's a no-brainer. Download the Knowable app or visit knowable.fyi. Use code GAVIN to get 20% off. How are you doing? Gavin here. Welcome back to the Business Mastermind Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about the things that you can do, you can start planning and implementing in your business to increase the valuation multiple of your business upon sale. We talked to um, multiple CFO, um, guy that's sold businesses, been involved in business acquisitions, been involved in raising millions of pounds and dollars across the world. Rob Jones, he's the founder of um, RJF uh, Business Services, and they really specialize in working with startups and early stage businesses, not only in helping them secure the funding and making sure that they are investor ready, but helping them ensure that should the day come along when you either purposefully or uh, go looking for someone to buy your business or you find someone knocking at your door, if you get these things right in your business, you can be looking at an increased valuation multiple on your business. Well worth a listen. Hey, Gavin here, and welcome to the Business Mastermind Podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Rob Jones. Um, Rob founded a currency firm, RJF. He's an entrepreneur. He's grown and sold businesses. He's a specialize, as he specializes in helping startups, being investor-ready, getting funding. We're going to be talking about how as business owners um, and how startups you can be investor ready, whether you're looking to grow to a point of wanting to take on investment to scale or whether you need investment to help you go and do acquisitions. Um, and actually, as one accountant talking to another, um, I'm pleased to, to say that uh, Rob isn't your typical accountant. <laughs> he's a white collar boxing champion. Uh, he's a session drummer and he performs with live bands in recording studios. He's completed a US tour with a UK band in 2018 and played at the famous Whiskey and Go-Go in Hollywood. So, uh, Rob, welcome to the Business Mastermind podcast and celebrating you for being a normal guy, irrespective of our shared <laughs> early career uh, education. Yeah, thanks, Gavin. Thanks for having me. Yeah, um, yeah, it was good. I mean, all the you know the drumming was good, but it just didn't pay the bills as well as the accountancy. So. <laughs> yeah, so you got yeah, the, 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 the contrast. Yeah. 
So tell me a little bit about what um, your, your career journey. So you're an entrepreneur, you've grown businesses, you've sold businesses. Um, so share with the listeners a bit about your own sort of business journey and then ultimately what it sort of set you, um, encouraged you to set up RGF with a real focus on helping startups to become an investor ready. Yeah, of course. Um, so I, I qualified as ACCA in 2006 and one of my first jobs, I was very fortunate in that I, I managed to um, get a finance director job straight away in Spain uh, for a company called Alston PLC. I always wanted to work overseas, so um, Alston was a big French engineering company, which my dad had worked for, and he was able to open a door there. So I worked in Spain and, and Switzerland for a while, and then in the Netherlands. And in the Netherlands, um, I had the role as the finance director for Alston Netherlands, and they... Um, had a lot of tax advantages in, in, in the Dutch sort of tax law for which were which which gave rise to a lot of merger and acquisitions being conducted through the Dutch entity. So um, I got to got to be involved in quite a lot of mergers and acquisition activities. Some of the biggest deals uh, that were around at the time, one was 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 involved in buying sort of the nuclear division back from the French government, which was worth 16 billion euros to buying small companies in the supply chain, engineering companies of about 5 million euros. So I got to see, got to see a real big spectrum from that. And that sort of experience in particular there set me up for what I'm doing at the moment. Um, okay. We came back to the UK um, about 10 years ago. Um, we just we had our first child while I was overseas and my wife wanted to be near her parents. So we came back and it came back during the crash. So there wasn't quite a lot of jobs to to walk into um, and Alston wanted to keep me on board, but they didn't really have anything in the UK, which was was a which was at was at my level of where, what I was uh, overseas. So I, I did a lot. So I started to do like portfolio FD work for private equity firms. You know, if they would go and invest into a business, or if they were looking at a business to see if it was viable from investments, or sort of like they would send me into. Kick, kick the tires, so to speak. Um, and I got to see a lot of uh, different types of businesses and how private equity and VCs would view them to invest in. Uh, and using a lot of my experience from Alston, what, what I used to do there was exactly the same as what I was doing in the UK then, where if they were looking at um, a company, um, they would send me in to do the due diligence reports and the sales guys would agree a price and then my job would be to go in to knock that price down to find everything wrong with it that yeah. they could say, well, you know, yeah, we agreed this, but because we found this and this, then we want to uh, knock, knock the price down. So I kind of um, jumped on the other side of the fence working with a lot of the startups and early stage businesses because uh, I think what's the saying is it gamekeeper turn poacher or is it the other yeah, way around yeah, yeah poacher turn game uh, yeah yes yeah, so genki could turn poacher that's right yeah yeah so i kind of um was like well look i know what what they're looking for so you need to do this and you need to do that and you need to get this in order because if i was looking at this from a due diligence this is where i've been knocking the price off so we want to keep as much value in your business as possible so this is where you've got to improve um and and sort of uh, sharpen up so I started doing that. Um, I worked with a, a group of angel investors as well. So we were not just looking at PE and VCs. It was actually angel investors too. Um, 
and made a few investments into businesses uh, and worked with them and helping them to, to gain some further. So we would make the seed investment, which was like the initial probably a small amount of money, which gave them to um, a basis to either whatever they were doing, if say they were developing a, a platform or a product, or to be get that sort of prototype in place or get an you know a, a, a viable product which they could take to market to be able to go to to investors with, and then we do the larger sort of Series A fund with them and help them do that. Um, and so I've been in a few businesses and and actually been really involved with them and and sort of shared the experiences of being. You know, thinking of crap. How we're going to pay wages next week? To actually, we're doing really well. We want to expand. How we do? How, how do we do that? And go overseas. And we've got all this money. What do we do with it? So, being on both sort of spectrum ends of the spectrum of, of a business owner's life, um, I set up a, a recruitment business, recruit for finance staff, um, a few years ago, which I sold, and and that was more because one of my roles in in, in the FD. Um, portfolio side was that I, I went in um, on behalf of some auditors who asked me to go in to look at a, a recruitment business to get them ready for investment and um, I just saw that actually you know see all the back office and I could they weren't doing finance but I, I one of my roles in Alston was recruiting a lot of finance teams I'd go into different countries and recruit finance teams and I always found it difficult with re- recruitment agencies in particular for accountancy so it was just an idea that I had and I thought well I've seen how it works in the background now. I can see they can be worth a lot of money. I could do something a bit unique. And I had a lot of a really good network to open some doors. So we was, you know, first assignment was working for uh, Zurich Insurance in Switzerland, finding their FD. And uh, because of my ties to Switzerland, I got quite a lot of um, high-profile work over there for like Glencore and Nielsen and, and Alstom and ABB and... Um, you know, for a recruitment business just to start out was quite good. Anyway, I sold that a few years ago. Um, so I've been through the whole process of starting, investing, and also selling um, my own company, but also helping other companies to sell. So I set up RJF in 2018 on the basis that I just saw a real need for uh, accounting businesses to be able to give a bit more um, advice on startups and early stages because you get you find your big four are not really that interesting because it's, it's quite small for them um, the mid tiers uh, are quite expensive um, you know they try and help but you know, ultimately they, they've got a big overhead to recover so they, there's not really much they can do without getting paid and then the high street accountants are very good at the compliance work but the actual sort of business advice and the advisory piece you know, props not so much because they're, they're just good at doing the compliance and and sort of I was coming across when we did um like the angel angel investment rounds. It, it you know people look at Dragons Den. It was very much like Dragons Den. We'd have companies come to us that were uh, or founders, entrepreneurs with great business ideas, and, and you look at it and you know you would have seen on Dragons Den the dragons are all really excited, think this is going to be nailed on. And it's going to be um, a fantastic business. And then they start quizzing about the numbers and then they all get lost and they get flummoxed and they don't know what they mean by burn rate or break even. And then suddenly everyone just, no matter how good the idea was, they suddenly think, no, I can't really back it because I can't give my money to someone who doesn't really understand numbers and trust you. And that's what we were finding in the Angel Network. And when I spoke to the owners and they were like, 
Yeah, I don't know what they mean when they're asking about that. They, you know, well, look, what, what's your business plan? Have you got a model? And he said, yeah, my accountant did something, but I don't really understand what he's done and it doesn't make sense. And I do, do my annual accounts and I give you those. But so I just thought that, yeah, I can do the compliance work. You know, that's a piece of cake. Um, but where we could add value is that, you know, I don't have big overheads like the big boys do. So I don't need to charge silly well not silly because then you know they're justifiable rates but the expensive rates which a startup can't afford but also it's a it's an interest for me because i can come across quite a lot of interesting businesses that may be worth investing in um but also maybe worth uh doing a bit of work up front for exchange of equity if i think it's worth it but i've got that flexibility to be able to do that and then go on that journey with them and, and help them grow. And it's the interest of my business because if I can be there to help them, you know, if they are going for investors, get them investor ready. If they're just looking for some advice on how to sort of understand the business and where it's going to make money or where it's going to lose money and, and, and preempt a lot of that and just do a lot more sort of be like that outsourced CFO, which a lot of them can't afford. Um, but if I keep them, um, Sort of financially healthy from that advice and I've got a long-term client and so it is in the interest of the business to be able to give that advice up front so whenever clients call us or talk to me you know it's not chargeable you know that they're a client and, and we say you know you get unlimited support and it is if there's a piece of work we need to do then obviously you know we, we need to charge but just to sort of say Rob I've got this idea or I've got an investor and this you know, I've done a few last week where they've had some uh, term sheets and um, they said, I don't really understand it. Would you go through it with me and explain this? Am I being potentially ripped off here or not? And so I do that and just experience, because I've got a lot of experience of, of seeing term sheets and thing. It's not really what's in the term sheet, it's what's not in the term sheet that's usually the issue. Um, and so it's just helping them do that. Fantastic. So you built a team um, that you've got the components of you doing some of the, the traditional sort of um, bookkeeping yeah compliance accounting stuff but also there's yeah. this uh, advisory piece whether it's cfo or fundraise advisory piece investor ready that really has a significant amount of value that's so, right yeah bit of a blue ocean there for you then in terms of the firm because there's not many out that that are offering that to the startup space no and when i sat, set it up and i spoke to my peers a lot of them were saying i oh, don't get in the startup it's a nightmare because you know you they don't have any money, so they can't afford to pay you, and it's always a trouble of getting paid. And um, and there is, I mean, there's, there's a stat, isn't there, where is it sort of, you know, eighty percent of businesses will fail. Um, and I just thought, well, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be that. I mean, I, I, like I say, I don't need to charge a lot because I, I use um, I use a lot of the software tools, which make things a lot easier. You know, I, I don't think I could have done this five years ago with with the tools that are in existence now you know we use zero we're a gold partner with zero we use a lot of management forecasting tools which just make things a lot easier and quicker and it means you can keep the cost down because you're not spending as much as putting it you know 80 percent of your time putting all numbers into a spreadsheet and then only 20 percent reviewing it whereas the 80 percent is a lot chargeable because you've got a lot of hours we can do it quite slick um and with clients, we put them on monthly plans, so they've got an easy, manageable monthly payment to do. I mean, we do say, look, you have to sign up to a direct debit, so it protects our business. Um, but it works because you know 
well, as I said, it's it, it, I've got the time to be able to help them and support them and grow, help them grow. And um, it's a long-term project, so it's it's about sort of being along them with their journey. And, and in terms of fees and payable, that they'll you know that they will come as they grow, and the and the fee book will increase from my own point of view in terms of a business. But we're also looking at getting that loyalty with the client that we've Brilliant. been there and helped them through it and, and the life and it's more of a lifetime value of them yeah, yeah that, absolutely that we see. so you know we've had a success story which is, is has been exactly what i wanted the business to do and um a long story short with it software business almost went bust we they came to us we talked to them about r&d they never never done it r&d didn't even know about it. the accountant had not, never said anything about r&d claims so we did them an R&D claim, got them £50,000 back, kept them afloat for six months. Twelve months later, they're signing contracts worth like $2 million, $3 million with the US companies. Um, and last year, they were valued at $30 million, and that's within Fantastic. two years. Within two years? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, we, we got them through, helped them, give them advice, and, and now we're... You know, I can say with the clients that we've got, we've got a thirty million pound business on our books as a as a client. So, yeah, um, yeah. and we'll, we'll go through the deal process with them as well and help them do that. So, it's that 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 was this that that was kind of the um, blueprint I wanted for the business to to be yeah. with clients. So, great uh, story. Yeah. So. Let's let's talk a bit about what are some of the things that um, whether they're a startup or they're a business owner that wants to get investment, whether that's investment to scale or investment in terms of a buyout, they want to exit. Um, what are some of the things that business owners are not doing right that is uh, eroding value from their business? Yeah, so certain things that we I would go in when, when a deal had been struck to, to buy a business and we'd have a look at is... Um, particularly for your early stages we've not got a finance function is management accounts it sounds um simple but you find quite a lot of owners don't really understand the numbers they just get a set of annual accounts and usually nine months after the the year end so they're meaningless but as a as a uh, as a potential investor or an acquirer what we would be looking at is is saying well okay your value in your business based on, on your projections. Yes, you're valuing it on what you're doing, particularly with startups, because you are valuing it on projections because you've got no sales. But if you if we just talk about, say, a business that has been going around for a few years now, um, valuations are not just, well, I've made this amount of profit and I'll give a multiple of that profit because um, you'll get a low valuation typically because, you, you know, if you're an early stage business, you're putting a lot of money into development and expenditure and investment into the business. So if you just take a, a profit figure as a multiple, then you're going to get a low valuation. What you're trying to do is trying to sell the potential of the business to increase that valuation. So where your management accounts come into that is, is one, keeping on top of your numbers, sort of, you know, monthly, if you can't do monthly, at least quarterly, so that when we're looking at that business, you say, well, they've got good financial controls because they're able to react to things because they're getting timely financial information rather than saying in a year's time, oh, I didn't realise we were losing that much money. Because a lot of businesses will see, well, I've got enough money in the bank, so I can't be losing money. I mean, there was one, for example, for 25 years, wasn't in the accountancy business. This was when I was doing portfolio FD. 25 years, never produced a set of management accounts had done everything based on the bank statement 
And he said, well, I've got enough cash in the bank, so I'm all right. Well, not really, because, you know, your management accounts, they were doing like, they had like printing machines and things. And, and, and a very long story short, you know, putting in management accounts and assessing sort of the output of these machines, he realised he had five machines too many um, and he was losing a lot of money. And he was like, well, 25 years, if you've just realised that I've lost half a million in a year, how much have I lost in 25 years? And he never really noticed that because he's always had enough cash in the bank. But, you know, as any business owner, you want as much cash as you want. And if if he's just realised he's lost a year by having not efficient machines and doing too much um, that he, 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 he spent 500,000 more than he had to, you know, it's, it's, it's a real sort of sobering thought and a realization of, yeah, maybe I should have kept on top of my numbers. So when we, when we go into a business, we have a look at the accounts, but also it's not just showing what you've done. It's your projections because your projections are having an impact on the valuation of the business because when you're pitching your business, you say, well, in five years, I'm going to be doing 30 million pounds. So you go, okay, well, that's good. And yeah, we will study the projections, but if you've got management accounts, management accounts should always be reported against your forecast. So we always encourage businesses to have a good forecasting um, model, but also reporting against that. Because one of the first things I'll look at is I'll say, right, okay, well, I can see your management accounts and I can see your forecast and I can see your variance to forecast. And I actually see that you're pretty good at forecasting because you've not got too much of a variance. Um, so when you say you're going to be worth 30, 30 million sales in five years time, I've got a bit more confidence that you actually do know what you're talking about. And so it ticks the boxes. And then yeah. you sell that to an investor or a funder, don't you? Yeah. But if that you, reduces risk if you're showing a, a track record of being accurate with your, with your that, predictions. That, 100%, yeah. Whereas if you've not got anything, I can't show anything. Yeah. Um, but also, if you're way out, then it also it's a case of, well, maybe you need to think a bit more about your forecasting because I can't trust your projections if, if, if your management accounts and your forecasting is so far out. Um, so, you know, that's one very important thing which doesn't get neglected because a lot of people, like I said, they'll see the bank account and see it's okay. And it's only a problem when they've got no money. Um, whereas having that good finance process will um, preempt a lot of uh, issues. So, so where else do uh, some business owners go wrong in terms of not being investor ready? Yeah, there's other things outside of finance. So there's things such as, um, you know, HR. HR is the big, big thing in terms of the way people are employed. HR contracts. One client that we've seen um, when you start a business, everything's quite buddy you know, your, your mates and your starting business partner and you recruit your mates and you think, yeah, we'll sort out contracts later and we'll, and we'll do all that. But, you know, that can be quite a big problem um, going forward because one of the part of the due diligence will be looking at are you key people tied in. Right. Um, I touched on recruitment, which is quite a big one. And um, recruitment is all about people. So sure. your people and then your billers, if you've not got your top billers on good contracts secured in and, and maybe, you know, bought in through sort of things as incentives or option schemes or whatever. There's lots of things you can do. It certainly affects the value of the business because I'm thinking, well, these guys, can, they're not tied in. You know, the contracts are not covered. Um, they can go whenever they want. So it's going to, re- you know, reduces, again, valuation if I'm looking at value in your business. Um, you know, so having your your team tied in, you um, 
properly and to the protection of your business is good. And also, have, I mean, a touch on team. Um, operations and having a good management team is so key. And again, I do get startups, it's hard because you've not got the money and you're doing everything on your own. But as you develop, you know, and, and profits, it's, it's, it's so important to develop because um, into, into your management team, into an operations team. Hey, Gavin here. You love the audio format because you listen to podcasts. I'm a massive fan of learning through audio courses and books. What I particularly like about Knowable is that courses are short form, like a podcast, and expert-led, like an audiobook, with courses on leadership from the commander of the International Space Station and on startups from the co-founder of Reddit. Grab yourself 20% off with coupon code GAVIN, in capital letters, G-A-V-I-N, which brings the price down to just over $3 a month. It's a no-brainer. Download the Knowable app or visit knowable.f. YI use code Gavin to get 20% off. This is such yeah. a crucial point about you know that having a team of you know A grade players around you in order for you yeah. to be able to scale and and, and to grow. Yeah. Many people put that hiring of a higher high caliber team off because they haven't got the funds to do it, or they go for a B or a C grade person because that's all that they can afford. Yeah. What's your view with mind of the, the longer game, the bigger, you know, the fundraising, et cetera, would you advocate that people, business owners, um, you know, put the business plan together and, and, and go out and raise funding so that they can recruit the right talent? Yeah. Yeah. It can be a bit of a chicken and egg, but once, but when you're going out for planning, um, sorry for investment. Part of the plan, if you've not got that team, is, is important to specify. Like I've identified weaknesses. I need to do this. I need to have this person. I need to recruit that, and that can be part of your investment strategy to sort of say that this is why I need the money because I need these people. Um, and then certainly when you want to come and sell the business, you know, it's anyone who's looking at buying a business, they'll need that team in place to show that it's. Because I always say to business owners, well, I touched on before before we we started the podcast. I was talking about you know a business where I've got a real life example of that they weren't ready to um, to sell when they wanted to sell. I mean, one of the things I said to him, what will make this business so attractive is if you can go away for six months, come back, and it's still there. You've you've got something you can sell. Um, so that's about getting your business ready for that eventuality that investing in, in the team and the people that you can be around that you can step away and that and in terms of having a high valuation and making yourself you know investor ready is is crucial i'd say that you know i've touched on the accounts and finances but that is what probably one of the most important things is that it's and it's hard to to sort of explain and, and not, not explain but I, I think for a, for a founder it's, it's something difficult to take on board that it's not all of that it has to not be all about you because it is all about you when you start it but to be investor ready to eventually the, the dream of selling your business it has to be that it's not about you that this can run without you because you think about the end goal if you sell it you're going to get a lot of money your why you motivate to still run this business so that's as an investor i'm thinking um you know yeah i'm going to give you a lot of money and you're going to be off and i don't really want you to still be in the business because you're not going to be that motivated i mean there's yeah, yeah. ways you can keep them motivated of sure, course yeah. 
there's lots of things, but as a general rule, I, I want that to be a really good management team to be able to be running this that's incentivized. Um, so we're talking about management team, we talk, so management accounts, we're talking about the HR aspect, the contracts, but also the quality of the management team. Mm. What other things will help not only you be investor ready, but increase your multiple? Yeah, um, contracts, legal uh, is a big area, which I see goes um, un- you know, unnoticed and, and and this is with customers or around protection customers. of product. Yeah, with products, with customers, um, IP. If you develop, if you're a tech business developing IP, making sure that you've got all that um, tight and 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 it's in your business. So if you look at a tech business, if you develop something, get it protected, have it patented. If you're an e-commerce or a brand, you know, make sure you, things like your logos are all. Um, protected um, and things things like that can often get neglected um, because again it's cost it's cost getting the patent fees it's cost getting it protected um, in terms of trademark you know it's not that expensive to do you can do it on the government website but again it's it looks quite complex when you look at other forms and people put off but in terms of valuation if you come to market and you've got all that in place um, it just takes another big box to say, yeah, no, that's all good. In terms of contracts with customers, again, you can see a lot of startups, they just want to get the business and they'll do whatever it takes to get that. And then when they look at the contract, so we had one a couple of years, well, not a couple of years, 18 months ago, and they really wanted this contract with this big brand name. Um, and they signed up to it because it was an amazing deal. And then when you look at the fine print of it, they have a, a 10% royalty on everything that they sell to anyone oh on goodness. the software. So as an investor, you look at that and you look at it and you're thinking, and there's no end date on there's it. There's a chunky margin just there's gone. 10% yeah. I have to pay out to this, for, not just for what they do, for, for any other customer. So, Whoa. you know, illegal work. Again, I mean, it is money and, and I get why people don't want to... Um, spend on, on legal fees because it's just, you know, lawyers are expensive, but there are good firms and there are good startup, you know, people that do what I do in the legal field. So I, I think it's definitely worth spending time investment on that to get that, that shut, get, get all that really tight. Cause again, that that's where you could fall down and it can also scupper a deal in any due diligence. If you, if you've not got that, you know, the patent protection, the IP protection, the um, legal documents with your customers and and, and, and uh, suppliers as well. So, you know, it, the supply chain is really important, having that um, really sort of, you know, legal contracts for purchase agreements. Again, depending on your business and what you do, but I've seen it where you can get caught out where you're tied into a frame agreement for five years just because you think you're getting a good price, but then the market's moved and you realise that if you could get out of this, you could save 20, 30% on your margins, but you can't get out of it now because you just signed whatever was put in front of you because you wanted to get the deal. Um, so I do strongly, you know, it's about having the right people around you to help and, and, and getting that advice, which I do get. It's getting that balance because it's expensive. Well, that, that to me was the point I was going to pick up on. You know, when you're a, a, a larger, sophisticated, mid-sized or, or, or corporate-sized business, you're automatically going to do those things because you've got yeah. the budget and you've got the teams to be able to do that. If you're a startup or you're a high growth, relatively small business looking to sell, you're a founder owned business, you, you probably haven't got the the budget or the or the funds, budget's not even a relevant word, I don't think, you know, the ability to pay for some of those things. Yeah. 
So I think it comes back to the conversation that if you've got a, an end point in mind of whether you're going to get investment to scale or whether you're going to exit, you've got to make sure you get this stuff in, in place now, otherwise you could scupper a deal. Yeah. Yeah. And you're not going to get it on day one for that reason of, you know, you haven't got the funds and the money, but um, it's about allocating the fund. I mean, you know, you do see businesses, as soon as they make a bit of money, they'll go buy a brand new car and put a lease on of a grand a month for a Range Rover or something. And then the business isn't really being, and you think, well, no, put that into the business because you want to be, be valuable. But when you are starting and you haven't got it, it's the only, like I say, there are, you know, there's not many do what we do in our finance field because we, 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 you know, unless it's a specific way we charge, but we'll give that advice. But it's about trying to get that advice, you know, and, and there's lots of it out there. And, and the, like I say, there are legal firms that, that specialise in startups that will give that help. And, um, but, you know, every business needs money. So you've got to have money. And, and, and you know, to, to, to have like a, an employment contract, What's it going to cost? You, you can cut, you pay about £350 mm. have a template which ties in rather than, you know, maybe getting one downloaded from the internet, which you can get, but often they're very sort of vanilla and general where I would always advise get more specific. So you're spending £350. Well, all right, so it's a lot of money, but is it a lot of money? It's going to give you, you've got to look at it every pound that you invest. So if you just say, for example, in your business, in the business that you're in, and the multiples in your business are say five times, just as an example, yeah. five times yeah. profit. Every pound you're spending as investment is giving you an extra five pounds um, of value to your business. So it's <clears throat> it's just managing that. But there is there's lots of advice and help. Mentors are good. I always think, you know, you, it's good to get a mentor in place. Um, NEDs and non-exec directors are good because they can you know, they've opened a lot of doors, but they've got a lot of experience. So I think you will get ones that come on board for, for nothing and maybe just take a share if they see potential with it. Again, you've got to be careful with that. And maybe that's a whole new subject about sort of shareholders and things like that. But um, yeah, it, you know, it, it, it can be, there's lots of sort of hubs. I mean, we're, I'm in Manchester here and we have entrepreneurial hubs, business growth hub and things like that. And there's lots of advice and, and, um, support available in that in that way that you can get but it's just something not to be neglected and a lot of people maybe not even know that it exists or it's out there or what they need to do but there are things that you just you've got to get any of the things that they need to do for investor ready um if you've got business partners i'd always have shareholder agreements it's a common thing that never ever gets done because people think well we'll never fall out and we'll always be in love and when money comes into it, it usually causes problems. So, you know, shareholder agreements between business partners is, is crucial and very important. And again, kind of touching before, that could be a whole different conversation of what things to look out for and what's important and what, what you need to do. But I think that's a good thing to have in place if, if you're in business with someone, because again, from an investor point of view, you're looking at that and if, if, if they're not clear and, and, and there's nothing in place, it can be sort of something where you think, oh, there's a bit of risk. Because you've got to think, any, any investors that are looking at businesses, they're always looking at the downside. Yep. They're not looking at the, they look at the potential which gets them hooked in. But when we're doing the due diligence, it's always the downside and looking at everything that I can do to sort of try and get 
more value myself out of the business or less money. You know, say if I'm pledging 100 grand and you're offering 20%, I'm going to look and say, oh, there's a bit more risk here and I want 40% for that. And that's yeah. what we're doing. And that's in terms of our clients, we're trying to do it the other way to say, this is what they're going to look out for. So yeah, I think, you know, shareholder agreements are key. Um, contracts I've touched on, uh, you know, in terms of legal IP. Yeah. So I want to just switch, change tack slightly and talk about funding. And um, obviously over the course of the past 12 or so months, a good number of businesses have taken advantage of um, loans through coronavirus, um, you know, sales um, or or business balance back loan or the equivalent in different territories around the globe. Um, So the debt burden of a lot of small to medium-sized businesses is significantly higher than it may have been, not in every case, but it would have been 12 months ago. Um, How do you see the funding market changing and evolving, particularly as we're looking uh, towards the end of the, you know, the the government-backed loan schemes? Yeah, well, I think think debt funding, I mean, it was difficult anyway, and I think that's going to be even more difficult. Um, There's there's a lot of... uh, sort of risk with companies now because they've got you know they've got the bounce back in the C bills and I think they've um, maybe prolonged the life of the companies that maybe if they did not have that they would have gone bust but what the impact now is of them pay, paying for that back it's going to make a lot of sort of funders um, very risk adverse and they were risk they were quite risk adverse to startups in early stages anyway but I think even more so now I could see the cost of borrowing being even more expensive. Um, they always, they've always asked for personal guarantees, which I just, I, I don't think you can ever get beyond that. I don't think anyone's going to do that, but I just think they have, it'll be harder to get debt funding. Um, it was difficult before the pandemic, I think, for the start. Certainly I saw a lot of startups and early stage businesses just getting overdrafts was difficult. Um but I think now with the C-bills and bounce-backs um, in, in place, and once that finishes, to get debt c- could be even more difficult, unfortunately. Um, certainly the cost of it will go up. Yeah. Could, they'll, they'll want more sort of uh, return for the risk. Um, in terms of investment through sort of equity, uh, I think... It's, it's not funny is not the right word, but I've not really seen a dip in that during the pandemic. I've still seen quite a lot of deals as, as appetite. And I, I think that might be also a lot of opportunism, you know, people thinking that there's quite a lot of businesses that maybe were profitable before the pandemic. Now they're struggling. There's an opportunity to, to get a cheap deal. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, I could see that, uh, but I think there will always be money for the right business. And I think even after this, I think there still will be um, an appetite. I still see quite a lot of money flowing still on yeah. the uh, investment side. Which is good, which is like, you know, building on your previous comment, that's going to be the route that's going to have to be taken for a lot of businesses where debt is either unattainable or further debt is unattainable for them or just yeah. too expensive. Yeah. So um, key to that um, is putting the right um, business plan together, the right projections together. And that's something that obviously you and your team can help with. So if anybody wants to find out more about um, RJF accounting, about how you help startup and um, and businesses and, and established businesses looking to get funding or looking to exit, how you prepare for that, how can they find out more? Yeah. Um, 
on the website, everything's on the on the website. It's at www.rjf.uk.com. Um, so you, you can contact and arrange an appointment with me. I, you know, I, I'll, def, I'll have a call, no charge. You know, happy to to have a conversation uh, with someone who wants some help or advice. Um, but there's lots of sort of resources on there as well. Blog, we do, we you know, we blog regularly relevant to sort of the startup and early stage business. So there's lots of advice and uh, tips and things on there which you, you can find um, and on social media as well. We're on the usual channels, so we do we post regularly blogs and articles on there, which um, a lot of people, you know, particularly clients say they find it really useful and helpful. You know, not just finance, but, you know, we did one recently on um, making my first hire, what do I need to consider? You know, things like that, which um, often people... Uh, what, what I'm doing is relaying a lot of questions which I get asked. Yeah, yeah. There's a question that I got asked, you know, what's the, I'm looking to take someone on, what's the, what's the cost of it? Um, so, yeah, so they can contact through there as well. Fantastic. Rob, thank you so much for your time today no uh, on the Business Fast Night podcast. Thank you. You've been listening to the Business Mastermind podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate and review so that more people like you can get their business back on their own terms, enjoy more success, and create more impact.